Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Still podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number 13. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks. Hello. And John Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Hello. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10. Or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get to your comments and questions towards the end of the show. But feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. Just got one announcement that I wanted to mention this week. A very big welcome to all the new subscribers that we got. We had a bit of a jump over this week. So welcome yeah. to everyone. I hope you enjoy the, the live show. And with that said, uh, before we get on to this week's topic, let's do a rundown of what everyone's working on. So Joey, as per usual, you get to start. Well, I was going to have a quick little announcement as well. I thought, ah. now, I haven't talked to you at all about this, Robin, but uh, so <laughs> I had a few messages this week, um, three, four emails and comments and such from people all around the world, from Brazil and the UK, saying how much they enjoyed the podcast and good job, and which was awesome. But, um, you know, as far as I know, we don't really have a good way of knowing how many people are listening or watching um, well, watching kind of, but we really don't know how many downloads people are making. And so if you're out there and you enjoy what we're doing, um, you flick us a message and say, great job or bad mm -hmm. job. Either way, we'd like to hear from you guys because as far as we're concerned, we're just kind of sitting here talking and, and when we hang <laughs> up, that's it. We don't hear any more feedback. So um, it's really good to get something back from, from the people who enjoy listening to our ramblings. So um, that's it. Um Right, whatever I've been working on, I've just started a ply kitchen, which has been going pretty good. Got quite a lot done this week. Um, just this afternoon, I started milling up some pencil cedar. I've never used it before. Um, it's interesting. It smells like pencils. So I figure hmm. it's the timber they use to make pencils out of, which is why it's got its name. Um, so it's, so the, that's a different cedar to... Yeah, it's not Western Red. It's quite a lot heavier. Um, it's it's got a density more, a slightly harder than pine, but it's way harder than cedar. It's got a much finer grain. It's not as open as cedar. Um, and I always just assumed there was like a handful of cedars. I didn't reckon there was. Well, I didn't know there was a whole bunch. Yeah. I I knew about this, but I just never really ever had a chance to work with it. And. Yeah. Um, I think I've worked with it once before, but not knowing what it is. Right. I, that yeah. smell of pencils came yeah. through. I had yeah. no idea yeah. what it was. But so, okay. and the, the boards I've got are very nice and straight, and it's just milling so far through the thickness so beautifully. Um, so I've got a, a rush job to kind of make a couple of desktops up with it. Um, so I'll be doing that tomorrow. Uh, I had a, someone interested in my cheers finally. So that's interesting. I've got a meeting in March about with a retailer who's looking at them. So oh, so not buying the kits, buying the full no, chairs. No, he wants to look at uh, an order, a standing order. So that's kind of what I was after. So that's interesting, but I've got a meetings and such. Um, and I just saw my emails before he went live and um, a whole lot of emails behind at the moment. So <laughs> that'll probably be me for couple of hours later on. <laughs> yeah. John, how about you? Uh, this week I have been, what have I been doing? So last week I mentioned that uh, bench seat that came through. Uh, so basically finished that in the building stage. And I have been doing a lot of quoting this week more than anything. So my stance range of table uh, that I did a while ago has kind of started getting interest. So Oh, cool. Matter, yeah, so a matter of three days, I had three separate people contact me about it, wanting custom. Yeah. That's awesome. Stance. So, yeah, so they, they all want it customized. Yeah. Uh, and I think I have to make it more clear that it is a scalable design and I can mm -hmm. make it in, you know, everywhere it's kind of shown because everyone's first question is, oh, I really like the design, but I want it to be bigger. But, oh, right. Lucky for you, I'm a furniture maker. and. <laughs> Yeah, I can do that. That's funny. Uh, so, yeah, so in terms of in terms of customizing it, you're talking about size, but not necessarily design. 
yeah, you wouldn't so, change that. Yeah, so basically if they want it longer, all they have to do is I'll make the, the aprons longer and mm. extend the top. If they want it wider, all I do is widen the top and lengthen the, the shorter stretches as well. And it, the whole thing is that it's a scalable design. The good thing um, with that is that, assumingly, you will have the base price for it and then yeah. any modifications is extras. Well, that's it. Like I can, I can do the table in the same amount of time as long as the top is no wider than my wide drum set. Right, yeah, that's always it. Yeah. Because that will add a day, I mean, not a full day, but like half, half a day. day's charge yeah. to do it, the glue up in three stages instead of one. Yeah. Um, so, and both of these, though, two of them wanted a custom as far as one meter wide, which is wider than my sander. Uh, so that added to the cost, but I think for future I'll just I'll just cop that loss because it's, yeah. it's no harder to just do a glue up in two stages. But yeah, that's true. Uh, what else? I have also had my chopping board. So a while ago I employed a SEO company um, to kind of do an audit on my website and fix up the SEO, and the results are starting to show. Um, ah. I have had good, yeah, like three, four custom shopping board requests, and it's got me thinking that maybe I can get someone in once a week and just get them to work on nothing but blanks. So you know, every Thursday, yeah. every Friday, I just get a guy come in, work on blanks. So if a custom order comes in, all I do is cut it to width, glue it up, and uh, yeah, you get a school kid, man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so people are keen. So two hours after be- school. Yeah, like I'd be happy yeah. to give someone 150 bucks or yeah, however many hours it costs to do it. So it's better than me doing it. <laughs> <laughs> in terms, in terms of what that uh, SEO consultant did, is it's um, is it is it quite a process for them to do it, or do you just sort of say there it is, off you go? Uh, yeah. So I mean, I'm using a real company, not one of these people that emails you and says, "Do you want to be number one on Google?" Which is why I'd be. So so nervous to do one of, yeah, one of these yeah. things. I, I've gone to an actual legitimate uh, Australian-based company. So basically, they will get all of, like we, we do a second account and they can access the website, my Google Analytics, my Google Webmaster Tools, my uh, Bing stuff, all of online accounts. Uh, so they can monitor and do keywords. And on top of that, I specify which keywords I'd like to rank highly in. So, for example, a Perth furniture maker or wooden chopping boards or something like that. Uh, And then they do whatever needs to happen to improve the rankings on those keywords. Because, Mm. like, for me, I don't... I I spend a little bit on ad words, which is the paid ads on Google. Like, 60 bucks a month is my limit. But I don't see that any point in spending a lot of money in that sort of advertising if your name isn't organically showing as well. Absolutely. Um, like to me, it just doesn't prove trust because I see the ads and I scroll straight past it to the organic search terms. Yeah. So it's going to end up costing about $1,400 for the three and a half months oh, right. um, of doing it. But it's guaranteed results. And if I'm not on the first page for all of the keywords I specified, then it's money back sort of thing. And that's it's interesting. And then, and then, you know, does it, do they just say from then on, we can't tell, but you will probably still be on the first page? Oh, I mean, if I, if I see that there's good results and I'm getting business from it, then I would obviously continue that um, relationship because, you know, 300 bucks a month is nothing if it means it's getting 10 grand of work to you. Mm. Uh, but if it is that I'm I'm number one, I'm getting the clicks, but I'm not getting the work, then I know my service That's just isn't wanted. Yeah. So I just wouldn't bother with it anymore because there's no point in having a business and not being found. Because if you if people can't find you, how do you know that it's you mm. that they don't want to work, or they just can't find you? Mm. So yeah. Yeah, it was a tricky thing. I looked into it quite a lot, and essentially. If- found out that you, it really has to be a constant thing like like you're going to do. They're paying someone to work on it probably. Right. I, I imagine that it's something like once a week or something they're going to look at your yeah. profile. Um, and so these companies have packages going right up to that they're going to work on it for an hour every day if you want to pay for it. 
Um, but as I understand it, as soon as you stop that, it's not like it all goes away, but no. it does start shrinking back and people who are doing, other people who are doing SEO start overtaking you. But the good thing with our industry is that there's not a heck of a lot of people doing it. So the few times I've had people look into it for myself, um, they're like, okay, we've done some research and we found here are your three competitors. So like, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't really matter. And you're all doing such different things. We just, you just need to be findable. And that's where I found for me paying for the SEO wasn't, I probably would be worth it, but I found that all I need is to be findable organically rather than push myself because yeah. there's not that many people doing what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I found I wasn't going to spend the money on it, but um, you know, yeah, it I took me a, a while to bite the bullet. Yeah, but because I, I realized that a hundred percent of my work was word of mouth, or mm -hmm. or at least very close to a hundred percent from people that I've worked for getting work to me and all that. And I I really think I can be doing a lot more. And I so yeah, I just bit the bullet and said I'm going to do it. Hopefully, people will find me, and it means that business will start being instead of three projects a month, it will go to six projects a month or, yeah. you know, whatever. Cool. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's all I've really been doing, a lot of quoting and computer stuff. What about you, Robin? Well, I've been the one asking for quotes this week. Uh, I'm sort of getting full steam ahead into my bathroom renovation. So this week I've just been dealing with plumbers coming into quotes Um get an idea of what I can and can't do and um, how much do I want to spend. And, of course, I started at uh, this is what I want to do. I want to put in two toilets, move this, change this, change this. Got the first quote back and said, cool, everything's going to change. So <laughs> it's sort of come back down to a more reasonable quote. Um, we were just talking about it before the show started um, about the tiling phase. So there's just this this week all I've done is just concentrate on the process, you know, the plan that I have to do because I'm going to be project managing it. I need to think about what and doing the building. I need to think about what step comes in front of what step. So, yeah, a lot of that this week. Um, the you might have seen on Instagram the wall outside the shop. I'm continuing work with that. I've just done some of the trim work around the door and the window. That's coming together nicely. It was quite nice to actually do a bit of woodworking with that instead of just smashing cement sheet into studs hmm. which is yeah grunt work um i also met with the last week i talked about a, a client who wanted me to make a bookshelf for from a table that or a tree that she's just cut yeah. down i actually met with her on sunday uh it was quite nice to actually meet her and, and and get a feel for the type of person that she is and what she wants and you know it kind of broke that ice which was nice um, got to see the tree that was cut down while I was there, the Sawyer came along and picked it up and, um, you know, so we could chat about how we wanted it, how we wanted the actual tree cut to get the best yield, um, all of that. So, yeah, it was, I think what I'll do in the future, and, and this was one of the reasons why I asked you guys last week about meeting your, your clients. I kind of like the idea of meeting them if it's possible. I feel like it's a good way to make that relationship. Um, and I think it's something that I would probably try and do more in the future if I can, if it's mm -hmm. possible. Yeah, I agree. It's a good. That's a good thing to do um, if time allows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the other question I had for you, Rob, was how um, how have you planned to kind of incorporate this sudden boost and in renovations into your YouTube stuff? Is it, so when, is it yeah an issue or? When I first started my channel, it was all about DIY renovations. Yeah. So I planned on it. I planned on going ahead with it. Since then, I've become a little bit more clued up on what, as an Australian, what you you can and can't do around the house, which, to be honest, I've, I had some pretty cowboy videos back then just doing whatever I wanted, not just not knowing. It wasn't that I was trying to be a shark. I just didn't know. So I want to include stuff, but I'll probably be a little bit more cautious about it. So like what we were talking about before the, the show, this this tiling um, job mm. that I'm talking about doing, potentially tiling over vinyl uh, flooring. I know that if I put that video up, I'm going to get absolutely destroyed in the comments by people. So I don't know if I'm necessarily going to film that just because it, it 
it's just going to turn people away. Even yeah. though, you know, we, we discussed, I've got a, a, a valid reason for it. It's too difficult I might, to explain. Yeah, and I might just just turn people off yeah. with yeah, that I, type yeah, of thing. I agree. I would just say, and we tiled the floor. Yeah. 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 So just obviously, I'll, I'll, before and after photo. That's it. Yeah. Obviously, I will do a, um, yeah, I'll do sort of progress photos and like for the, um, for the vanity, I'm thinking of either doing a solid wood top, a, a solid slab top, mm-hmm. or a concrete no, yeah. top. Yeah, cool. You know, so either way, there's a video in there. So there, there'll be parts of it that will definitely be video. Um, but yeah, in terms of of DIY stuff, yeah, it's just it's back to the beginning for for the channel. Yeah, so. I was I had a similar kind of uh, feelings when I was started filming my house build, um, mm. and I started putting those videos together. I was very cautious about what I was filming. I wanted to make sure at least what I was showing here was right on par with what's up to code um, mm. because it is, you know, it was going through the books. It was a legal building and, you know, we had to follow all the rules and we were. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that the details that we're showing were right where they should be for where I live. Mm. And um, so I could see in your situation, you're going to have to, kind of deal with issues that are much more complex. And so it may be easier just to say, yeah, we're just, we're just going to cut and paste some bits. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny. I found your channel through the, that house build. Okay. And, and I remember watching this going, oh, you know, I'm going to be able to learn so much about code and, and, you know, what's right and what's wrong from what now, obviously it's, you know, the country is different. So the codes are slightly yeah, different. Pretty but, similar, but yeah but there's a lot of similarities and I was just blindly believing everything you said. So right. again, I wouldn't want to be just putting out rubbish onto the internet that some mm. person's going to go along, go ahead and, yeah. and just watch. So, um, but yeah, then having said that at the same time, I think it's also, it's also quite educational for people to see who knows, maybe in a cup in a month's time, I'll put out a video why you don't tile over vinyl flooring, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's educational. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to save a heap of money, but now it's cost me three times as much. <laughs> I just lost 10 grand. Yeah. So, uh, and then the last thing that I did was, um, I put it up on Instagram yesterday, the wireless charging bedside table, which oh, yeah. some of you guys might have seen. I just routed a bit of a, a, a groove into that. The problem comes in at night when it's, you know, the lights are off, it's dark, and I come to bed and, and my wife's sleeping next to me and I'm trying to find the spot that it charges yeah. and boom, 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 every time I... And that's why I just thought, nah, <laughs> screw it. I'm just going to make a little dent and I can drop it straight in and off it goes. It looks pretty good though. Yeah. That little uh, recess. It's, it's not too bad. There's a couple of burn marks from the um, router right. bit that I just couldn't, I couldn't get the sandpaper in there and, and you know. You can't do it, eh? <laughs> yeah. That burn marks are a maker's mark. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> just do it in the right pattern, eh? That's it. Yeah. So, um, but other than that, yeah, it actually it actually turned out. Especially, I, um, I think one edge I used to guard, and the rest was all free-handed. Yeah. Um, just having cut the edge with the marking knife, and it actually turned out not too bad. So I was pretty happy about that. That's the one time when you want a, a set of carving chisels, and then you can just slice off the burn mark yeah. with a gouge. Um, but yeah, my carving chisels are like a twelve-dollar set, which I'll <laughs> sharpen one up every time I'm really in desperate for one. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, let's get on to the topic. And this was one that um, Jordan mentioned. Mm. So I did do that. Yeah, it's Jordan's <laughs> idea. So if it sucked, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> so it's it's all about the different joinery methods. We're going to talk about, um, I guess, the pros and cons of different joinery methods and um, how they've evolved over time. It's a, maybe a good way. Um, yeah, yeah, evolved or. Where where we see it fit as well would be another sort of topic to cover. Mm. Um, to be honest, it's such a, br- a broad topic that I thought we'd just snowball a few ideas around and back- bounce it off at everyone. Um, okay. But what, so my- what gave me this idea was a comment on one of our previous episodes where he was kind of asking about, um, you know, do we see dominoes better than DAOs and right. all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and I, I figured a really good one to cover would be pocket holes because we are all YouTubers 
got that on my list already that's it uh but yeah i think the first thing i was going to talk about was the most basic of joinery and that is edge joining boards together to make wider panels right um for me i will rely on the glue joint entirely because mm. long grain to long grain or edge grain to edge grain is plenty strong but i still use either a domino if it's really thick but now that i've actually got a good quality biscuit joiner i've starting to use biscuits more and more um and it's something i see on a lot of videos on youtube especially with people with dominoes they will domino the hell out of a tabletop yeah absolutely um and unless there's unless you're relying on that end thickness being super duper close to the thickness of those panels that you're gluing up it seems like a big waste of money like Dominoes are, cheap, are quite expensive. Biscuits, mm -hmm. on the other hand, you know, you get a box of a thousand or a hundred bucks, so it's nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was wondering what your guys is, guys's that's guys's, the word. yeah, sure, yeah, your, your guys's take on edge jointing would be, not edge uh, jointing. You take this one, Joe. Oh, so first, I just wanted to clarify, George, that you don't you don't domino for strength. No, it, or you, not when it's doing like a, a panel glue up. I wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, I just do it just to keep the boards aligned. So if I'm yeah. within a tight tolerance of that end dimension. So like you say, now that you've got a half decent biscuit joiner, you'd use that probably because you're saving a cent on the domino. That's right. Um, and I used to have only a biscuit joiner and I would do the same thing. Of course, I had a cheap one and so actually didn't do much at all for the alignment because there was <laughs> so much play in the slot. Yeah. So that wasn't so much good. Um, but yeah, I only do it to keep boards um, aligned. And if there's a small um, cup or bow from end to end in a board, like if you've got a two meter long tabletop board, uh, it's not necessarily gonna be dead flat um, for a bunch of reasons. And so you can flatten it, hold it flatter by, with the dominoes while you're getting yeah. the clamps on. Um, so that's the biggest um, reason I would use it. Right. Can can I just jump in there? Uh, now, I don't own a domino. I've never used one. I've obviously seen videos of it, you know, in action. Yeah. Compared to a biscuit joiner, how far how how far below the surface does it make the um, yeah. the hole? Because I've used a, one of the, the dowel. You get these fairly cheap, inexpensive dowel hole yeah. jigs. Jigs, yeah. And I, I try to do my dining table with that. And... I drilled a hole into the the one, and there was it was like five mil. Nothing. And now, yeah. fair enough, yeah. if your boards are perfectly flat, mm. you know that's fine. But I looked at this and I was like, "There's no way I'm going to risk seeing a dowel pop through." So I threw it out. So there's two problems with it being so close. Um, one is it just is too close, and if you yeah. do have to do, if, if like if it ends up with a twist and you end up having to hand plane it flat, you run the risk of going through one if mm. it's really close. Call um, it a, a mistake butterfly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the domino or the small one, which I've got, goes up to forty mil deep. Um, I think it's forty or thirty. Thirty, maybe it's thirty mil, which is decent. That's thirty mil center, I believe. Um, so, but what I've heard from a lot of guys, I've never personally seen it, but if you have a domino that's quite close to the top, and put glue in it. Because often, actually, I will use my alignment dominoes will stay dry. I won't glue them because they're just holding it yeah. flat. Um, if you put glue in that and the domino is close to the surface, uh, because the glue expands the timber around it, you can actually see, I've been told, if you have a spray finish or a gloss finish, you can see lumps where the dominoes are and right. expanding the timber above it. Um and so that's an interesting little insight, which I haven't personally witnessed, but I'm sure it could happen. Yeah, I've, I, I mean, I've not seen that before, but I have the XL, so I don't think it can get quite as close to the edge as the smaller one. Uh, but in regards to uh, your question with dowels, uh, you have a fence on it, so you can kind of adjust it. Uh, so there's like a minimum depth of probably about five or six mil. Uh, to the top of the slot, and then you can adjust it down to whatever thickness you need. So I always try and center it. Uh, that's the same with the domino as well, adjustable height. 
Um, and yeah, I've never had any problems with it being too close to the edge. But then again, my minimum thickness I work with on a tabletop is generally about 25, 26 mil yeah. minimum. So there's plenty of material there. Um, this, yeah, this that, particular uh, jig didn't have an, uh, an adjustment. Um, right. I think that's because it was designed for joining cabinets. So it's about lining up your 16 mil MDF. Yeah, sure. Um, and and I don't think it was, and which is why I ended up taking it back. I don't think it's the right thing for that because either that or I couldn't work out how to adjust it. Because yeah, it, yeah. I have seen that. Seen, there you go. Uh, have you seen the new Triton double doweling jig Meduda, which is kind of their take on a domino, but it's a yeah. A I used drill. to I used to have the nine oh nine version of that machine. It was right. the exact same thing. It's, rebranded when 909 actually existed and okay. uh I, I found that the domino oh sorry the bit what are they called dowels the dowel slot for it was like too wide for even the actual proper dowels that uh, you buy for the machine <laughs> well, um, i don't know if it was, that was isolated to mine or not um but yeah i was going to say regarding the dowels you can get the jigs which are self-centering so you kind of clamp it onto the end yeah. of your board and with the thumb screws, it, it adjusts yeah. the fences independently. Um, and th those look great. I think I've used them before when I was at TAFE. Mm. Uh, and yeah, they worked, they worked really well. But not as good as a biscuit jointer. jointer. Well, not for that style of work. Mm. Uh, that, so a biscuit jointer, as long as it's not a really cheap one, so your slots are actually tight, so, for example, my Zito one, you would have two millimeters of play between the boards, whereas my Makita one, I have to hammer in the biscuit. So, yeah, right. there's a big difference. Um, I would just, say... Dow, it's just a really big cutter there, actually. Well, that's true. You could probably just get a better quality cutter. Yeah. <laughs> but when the cutter costs more than the actual Zito yeah. biscuit cutter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, let's see. Dows is a good one to talk about. Uh, before we continue, I just want to see. Okay. I just want to mention. I think it's Dave, Joey, uh, yeah, Dr. David. Yeah. David. Yeah. Uh, we were taught a rule of thumb was to make the ten and a third of the timber thickness and place it in the center of the mm. edge of the board, which I guess would be yeah the most yeah. the safest <laughs> safest route to go. I guess something yeah. to think about for edge jointing before you go on to domino uh, dows. Um, so traditionally, you would make uh either a dead flat joint or a sprung joint mm -hmm. and you'd put a um a pinch dog on each end and you'd walk away like yeah that, that was it and you might put some kind of clamping majig to keep it flat in the middle um so even so i've got a an old book from 1904 or five ish uh, and it shows techniques for this and yeah while they have tongue and grooves and um, slip feathers which is essentially a groove on each side and then a, a third piece which is the tongue um, these are their old school options for doing this so made for using with the uh, hand planes um, most of the time they just resorted back to using a flat uh, a flat square edge with pinch dogs as their clamps and, and that was it mm. so you know all these modern majigs yeah they help but not super heaps. <laughs> I think um, the biggest help they are is actually limiting how many clamps you need to throw at it because you don't necessarily yeah. need to clamp it flat if you're, you know, this is saying that you're not doing the traditional yeah. sprung joint. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you don't need to necessarily use coals on that glue up if you've got these mechanical joints yeah. in, this, in between the boards to keep it aligned. You just mm. have to clamp it and hope that things stay flat. Yeah, that's right. Um, have you used the, I mean, I believe they're called finger joint edging uh, bits yeah. with the bearing. Once I tried. Yeah, well, I've got one here, uh, yeah. but I'm yet to find a time to use it. But you well, see I've it a lot. One. Yeah, I've got one and we used it a couple of times when we first got it. My father-in-law bought it and he's like, look at this awesome thing. It's this giant, you know, we could, I think we can get 35 mil thickness board. So we could, yeah, you yeah. know, big beefy thing. 
and it's just a nightmare. It's like it's loud and noisy. You know, it's just it's hard to push through. And the it's worst scary. thing is the alignment is terrible. You you've got to do about ten test cuts to get get it. Yeah, because you got to run it like fa opposing faces for opposing yeah. edges, right? Yeah. You don't necessarily have that option if you're doing like a tabletop. No. You're, I, you're, so yeah. Like I, I find that joint useful if you're needing to join two boards together edge yeah. to edge. But oh, end uh, to end. yeah, and and to end. Sorry, mm. I don't know. I, but, I mean, I'm, I've yet to use it, so that's why I bought it. The thing is, if you need to run like a big bit like that across end grain, how are you holding your piece? Or are you holding a router in your hand? Yeah, I mean, it would have to be in a sled. Yeah, you've got to make a giant. Really. Yeah, you're going to make a big sled up that's what two meters long to hold your piece ninety degrees out from your cutter, which is uh, it's just really difficult things. Yeah, so. kick that would be yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, what were we going? Yeah, so we went on to dowels. Uh, maybe what we could go on now is you know traditional versus machine joinery. So when it comes to value of a piece. Would you say that if you did a traditional mortise and tenon, which was cut by hand, would that improve the value of that workpiece as opposed to a mortise and tenon cut with a data stack in your table saw and a hollow chisel mortiser? Go, Robin. So we've <laughs> talked we've talked about this before um, in one of the shows. We just touched on it briefly. My opinion. If you are using that as a feature, absolutely it adds value. But if you are just using it functionally, I, I cannot see any reason why you would say the good old ways are, are any better. Because if you can cut a better join, a stronger join, a better fitting join, and, and you, you're putting together, say, let's say a, a, a good old standard chair, no one's looking at the chair going, wow, look at the 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 you know that that mortise and tenon is so beautiful they just they just want to make sure that the chair doesn't fall apart on them yeah but but then having said that when you talk about drawers and you see all the different types of dovetails that you can use for drawers then it's a different story because um i know like matt cremona puts a lot of work into um the hand cutting his dovetails because that's a feature when you pull out the drawer then it's a maybe a different story now, would you say that a machine cut dovetail, I mean like a good machine cut dovetail on one of those lead jigs that you can configure the fingers to give you custom spacing, would you say that which is accurate and tight fitting would then be lesser value than a hand cut dovetail? Maybe it comes down to who you're pitching it to because yeah. for me, I, would, I want it to be some 99-year-old German man in his tiny little workshop hammering away at it. That for me, that's value. You've got the romance with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I can I can conjure up the picture and the scene, and I understand the auspiciousness of that that joint. But if you were to go to IKEA and try and sell it at IKEA, <laughs> bottom dollar no that comes down to. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I guess I guess it really comes down to the person who's buying. Yeah. The piece. So, so Jordan, have you ever had a client specifically ask you for hand cut joinery? Never. And in in the same sentence, obviously, it's going to increase the price just from labor. Um, do you think? Because I have done this, I've said this is what it's going to cost to do this by hand, and this is what it's going to cost to do this by machine. Yeah. Just as an experiment, uh, the client didn't even ask for it. Um, and they were just like, "What? Just I want the cheap one." Yeah, <laughs> just um, make the because, because I, unless the client actually asks, and and this is there's a difference between what the client wants and what the artisan wants. Yes, but we kind of you know, that we are trying to make a living from this, so we kind of have to talk about money at, at some point. Um, is that the the client? One never asks about joinery, even if I bring up the subject. And two, they don't care. Clients don't give a rat's how it's made. They just want this thing, and they want you to tell them it's going to last. And yeah. if you say those things, that you could just put nails in it, and as long as it does what you say it's going to do. So, um, so 
like I've done it on a few jobs just because I want to test myself out. Like I, I made um, a maple chest of drawers video, I think it's called um, a, a new old chest of drawers or something. That client want, wanted a timber chest of drawers. Wasn't really fussed on dovetailed casework uh, or dovetailed drawers. But when I explained that I could do that, he was like, yeah, sure. Um, and went down that road. He didn't care that I did it all by hand. No. Um, but I just thought I'd give it a crack and it worked out. And now I know I can do it. So, mm. um, yeah. And, and I got paid. You know, I did it. I think it took me three days. So it wasn't too bad. So Maybe yeah. the, the frustrating irony of the whole situation is that the people who want the fancy joinery are the people who are invested in doing that joinery themselves. So I think, yeah. you're not going to have a woodworker coming to buy your furniture, George, because they'll make it themselves. And those are the guys that want that handbook. Exactly right. And it's a funny thing. And the reason I kind of bring it up is because I agree 100%. Client generally doesn't give a crap about how their joinery is made. As long as it doesn't fall apart, they're happy. But I still have in my mind this like love of traditional joinery, except for the cost of doing it, it means I can't do it in most of my uh, projects because people want it mm. done cheap and quickly. But I've still got this wish list of I want a shaper, oh, sorry, a, a dado cutter for my uh, table saw and a hollow chisel mortiser because it's the fastest way to get a traditional style like mortise and tenon. And I want to use that more in my, my uh, projects, even though it's not the hand cut way of doing it. It just, to me, makes me feel like that project is worth more in sense of value a, a good um kind of point i always kind of bring up to people when they ask me is do you really think that if you gave a uh, sliding panel saw to a, a furniture maker in 1900 do you think he would say oh i'm mm. not going to use that i'm going to do it with this hand saw i've got no yeah, that would, that would jump on it they would jump on it because what they're trying to do is pump out as many pieces of furniture in that month as they can, which is probably one, yeah. um, and get paid for it. When you look at the – like uh, there's a good article in Mortis and Tina magazine about this, uh, about an old uh, – I think it uh, is a workshop from 1700 in the States, and they found some of the old docket books going out, and they could see that this guy is just pumping out stuff the work quality depended on what was being made but generally it was just kind of so-so work um it's from my memory of the article um and they kind of gathered that, that i mean this guy could make very good furniture but people were only willing to pay what they were willing to pay so mm -hmm. this is this is what the quality of the work was and we, we're talking about the exact same thing and so it's all about everything comes down to speed and you really, unless somebody is asking for it specifically, you know, the joinery has got to be the fastest and most um, practical for that purpose. Whether yeah. and and what you have on 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 board, what machines have you got that you can alter or use in a slightly different way to get a different result? Hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Totally. Uh, how do I respond? Well, <laughs> I, I must say, to, 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 for, for me personally, when I look at my any of my joinery, and I, you know, I obviously haven't got to the, the stage of you guys having done hundreds and hundreds of the same joints. But for me, regardless of whether I'm using my hands or I'm using a tool or whatever I'm using, a blunt spoon, when I get a clean line on a glue join, doesn't matter. <laughs> that nice. makes me happy. Yep. Bottom line. Yeah. That is... Never going to change, Arlo. That will always make you happy. Yeah. Make, well, at least for me. Uh, speaking of real joinery, pocket holes, are they real? Or are they, what? Do they have a place in furniture? I think they've got a beautiful place in casework. Ooh, I think this, uh, this, this, this Joey, this ties in perfectly to what you were just saying. In 50 years' time, we'll be... Oh, no, no, actually, no. Let me, let's go 50 years back. If you were to show someone a pocket hole jig 50 years ago, would they say no to it? No, of course they wouldn't because it's going to speed things up. Why do oh, people sorry, have nails? Why do people <laughs> still have this feeling about pocket holes that it's, it's so weird? It's, it's like pocket holes have transcended the, the 
hand tool, machine tool argument. And they're just on their own up there in this. I don't understand the hate for pocket holes. I just don't think it's, it's relevant. Well, personally, I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I don't think they have a place in fine furniture, but that said, I don't see how they differ from a domino. Like, you know, it's essentially closing the same joint, except it's using a screw, which is in a weird pocket that you can achieve by just using a standard drill. But you need to spend $200 on the jig. To well, yeah, yeah, no, you can hide it better with pocket holes. You can. But for me, I don't think it should be used in furniture. I think in casework where you can actually strategically place them, they are mm-hmm. beneficial, but I don't think they're any better than using staples, if, if that's the sort of casework you're doing. Uh, I, okay. Yeah, you go. Save me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got issues to talk about. <laughs> okay, so... I, so, from reading about the pocket holes, um, their whole thing is about screwing into edge or long grain instead of end grain when you're doing like a butt 90 degree mm-hmm. corner joint that's the whole purpose which is it makes sense to me in solid timber so i just wouldn't screw solid timber like that generally 90 percent of the time it's not going to happen yeah. um so then i say okay it's like at the moment i'm building a plywood kitchen it's got no grain directionality it doesn't matter how I screw them together, it's going to be some edge grain, some long grain, uh, some end grain, you know, there's a mix of both. So the whole point of the pocket hole is pointless. So just screw it together from right through the piece. And then I just saved myself 150 bucks. I just had a drill bit. Yeah. Um, I don't like when people make, uh, carcass work with the pocket holes because they're huge holes. It's a 10 mil hole or eight mil. I think it is. It's an eight mil hole. And yeah, that generally they're hidden on the inside of the carcasses, but that's where you're going to put your pots and pans and stuff. Like you see that stuff. Uh, why th- not to screw through the outside of the carcass right through from the back or the side or the top. And you've got no screw holes visible. Yeah. In inside or inside. 90% of cabinet shops just use staples and go straight through the edge, yeah. at least over in this side of, of the pond. They just so, use long gauge staples and that I don't agree quick. that staples are the same as screws, but I, I see why they do it because it's quick as and if they glue it then you're getting a bit more holding power. Um, a screw, you gotta think like my dad always said, you gotta think of a screw as a clamp. That's what it is, mm. the way it's working. And so if you think about when you screw a box together, you've just put kind of 20 clamps onto it. And that's pretty strong. Uh, A staple is just relying on friction. Mm. And especially in plywood, if that staple happens to be going into the end grain of the plywood, of a plywood plywood veneer, uh, you know, you've got just about no holding power as soon as you put some racking force on that. Yeah, that's Mm. true. So pocket holes for me are... useful only for um, adding the uh, holes for screwing down a top or something yeah, in, in like yep. a table frame. Like yeah, it, creates, useful, yeah. it creates a pocket, which is great, and you, you can put the screw in there. That's a good use for it. Uh, I don't like the idea of screwing two boards together, but like on edge, like for a tabletop, I know mm. it can be done. And you look on the underside of it, even though not many people do, and you just see like, wormholes of eight mil holes yeah uh, it's like okay um that's kind of weird <laughs> like just put glue in there like why did you screw it together i don't know so i, th- I think cuffy's cuffy's summed it up pretty well yeah pocket okay. holes are considered bad because they're used in the wrong situations far too often mm-hmm. which yeah maybe and i guess that that follows on from what you've said john about in furniture yeah maybe in fine furniture not the way to go in the same way that you generally wouldn't use screws at all in yeah. furniture. But for me, cabinet making or carcass making, if you don't see them, I think power to you. I, I can't, I can't see a negative in it. 
the thing I, I do like about pocket holes and I will say is awesome is that it means that someone in their workshop that just has a miter saw and whatever, you know, handful exactly. of tools, they can get out there and they can assemble a table in an afternoon. Like it's sped up that entire process for hobbyists that are just doing it for the joy of it. And I like that. Um, but it does, when people start relying on it for everything, I believe it becomes a very limiting tool. Hmm. As yeah, in that sounds limiting your, yourself. Dominoes. Well, it, and exactly the same as dominoes. If you're relying on dominoes and everything, you're limiting yourself to that. Mm. But, yeah, mm, absolutely. And I think that might be why someone like myself leans towards pocket holds more because I'm still, I'm, I'm probably just moving out of that hobbyist side of things now, you know, to get to the, the more professional woodworking. But I'm still very much, in my mind, I'm still just a dude with a mitosaur in, in the garage. So for me, pocket holes still has a, they still have a place because of that. Yeah. I think I, I'm just thinking about the carcass part of it again. And um, <laughs> so I've got a, one of those tiny little Krig hole, pocket hole things, which I use, you know, once a year. Um, and I've got a little box of screws. And so as far as I understand, when you're screwing 18 mil panels together, you have to use a 32 mil screw, which makes sense because it's half or well, won't go all the way through the other piece. So you're getting about uh, 16 mil of holding power uh, towards the end of the screw. If that makes any sense because mm -hmm. the screw tapers off, so you don't get the full amount because the, the pointy end of the screw isn't grabbing anymore. Yep. Um, so when I screw carcasses together, I use 45 mil screws and go right through. So you're getting what almost 30 mil of holding into the second piece. Um, I think there's a lot more holding power in that, and this is going to come down to a debate of like how how strong the screw. You know, <laughs> how long but, is a piece of rope? Yeah, the more threads that are in, the stronger it's going to be. Is really what it comes down to. Um, so I can just I just don't see them as being as effectively strong in some situations either. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I must say, if they, if they did some, some real research, whatever on it, and it did turn out that pocket holes were vastly inferior, then obviously I'd change my tune. Um, I've never actually used pocket holes before. So this, I'm only going on the, the opinions and what I've seen online. Yeah. My argument is more with the people who seem to just dislike them because they are pocket holes. Mm. I just feel like they're unnecessary, to be honest, because mm. um, you can just you just put a screw in with a drill. Like mm. maybe I'm just too old school about it, but <laughs> just like line the two pieces up and put a drill in there. Like, why do you need a jig and all this stuff to hold it? Just just do We're it. Complicating like, <laughs> something that has been yeah. done by people for and many years. I think. It comes down down to the design of the cabinet more than the tool. If you're designing a cabinet where you only can put a screw in this one hidden place, then maybe it's actually the design of the cabinet, and there's not enough thought about how it's going to go together. Um, yeah, properly. So. Mm. All right. So obligatory pocket hole conversation, which was bound to come uh, up, has been just ticked off. That's been it. Let's check. Uh, maybe while we're still kind of going on this whole casework thing, rebates and uh, dados or screws, like just butt joints or have it rebated. For me, uh, yeah, I used to rebate, like if I was doing any casework, I would do the rebates and dados for everything. But of late, I have just started doing butt joints, screws, glue, and relying on that because it's it's plenty strong for what it needs to do in my opinion yeah but i'm also not selling this stuff everything i do casework is generally for myself or for my house um it depends what it is for i like in a kitchen if i'm if i'm well, not very often i actually screw a, a shelf in these days because everything's sitting on you know, adjustable um, pins which is essentially just a screw when you think about it Anyway, so if, if people accept uh, a shelf pin, they should accept screws. I mean, the difference is that the screw is halfway through the thickness of the shelf, and so you have 
half of the strength of the timber can split away, if that makes any sense. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I tend to, like, if it's a bookcase, I definitely am going to put some extra duty other uh, dominoes and then screw. So the screw will hold the case together and the dominoes are taking the weight. Sure. Um, something like that. If I can, I'll do dados, but I don't like to see, like on a bookcase, personally, I don't like seeing the dado and the shelf inside that groove. Yeah, like you need a face frame or so a stock do, groove. Yeah. yeah, and so face frames are very not popular here, um, and people want usually want big, chunky, thick verticals um, and square edges, and so it's, there's some playing around to do. That yeah. um, uh, bedside table that I did a couple of weeks ago, there the the plywood's all rebated in, and mm. I thought it looked pretty cool. Like I like that that you can see the notch where it comes out, and yes, maybe it's, it's a bit different. It's made up with the pliers, so it's more attractive. Maybe rebates in a corner is fine, but like a shelf sitting in a groove, to me, it just looks a bit kind of unfinished. Ah, uh, okay. It's like anything. You can make it a feature, or you can try and hide it. And it, it's how you, it's how you choose to like polish it off that will make it. Because if it's a, yeah, like if it's heaps of pliers going into a rebate, like birch ply, I think that could look kind of cool seeing it all mm. put in. But if it's just cheap, uh, like MDF, and it's you know you can see it separating the slight blue line or in the paint, it just yeah it doesn't look great in mm. most cases. Uh, okay, well we've been going on for a while. Uh, I, I've I've one question. Did you, yeah. Sorry, John. Did you have any more points? No. I mean, we haven't talked about half laps and cross lap kind of joints, which is what you used in your table. And that's if there was anything that you guys thought about off the off the suggestion we could talk about. But I haven't really got anything specific to say. Uh, I don't know. What were you going to say, Robin? I wanted to talk about gluing end grain because I know that there's a lot of well, I think it's pretty universally known that it's a, a no-no, not a very strong join. Uh, Steve Ramsey has once said you can get away with it by gluing the end grain, uh, sort of filling it with glue so that it seals up a bit. Then you glue it to whatever. You get a bit more strength there. As much as gluing end grain is a weak join, there is still some strength in it. So do you guys ever use gluing end grain maybe temporarily, or do you ever rely on it? Um, go on, Joey. I can't think of anything where I've just said, right, this is a glued butt joint, and I'm going to walk away from it. <laughs> um, like, my table is probably the worst example. Mm. Um, so there's some very long, not, not it wouldn't be considered end grain. Technically, it'd be very short grain, they would say. Um, and it's got dominoes in it and then there's that center kind of cross section which is straight up ingrained but there's a big tenon in there domino mm. so that's holding it I, I don't think I've ever oh the only time I've done a butt join that I can think of is where you need to join a plank in the middle of a tabletop or yep. bench top and you do it in the middle of a stack of boards mm. um, but it's held in place by the boards around it so it's yeah. not such an yeah. issue. See, I, that, that case I've seen, I think it's Canadian Woodworks on uh, Instagram. They do like, you know, the shorts. They laminate all the shorts and they use dominoes in all mm. the end grain. And like to me, it's not strong enough for that. If it's supported on each side, great. Um, but that's what that, that finger joint routed bit mm. yeah. uh, that I was talking about earlier is yeah. basically designed for. It gives you yep. long grain... Well, it's really short grain, but long grain connections on an end grain glue joint because you're cutting into it. Um, so if it's something that I have to do, that's the reason I bought that route a bit for me personally, is well, that I have a way it, of joining it. I'm not sure about where you guys are, but here, like at a hardware store, you can get it. just about any type of timber is comes in a finger-jointed version where yeah. they're just picking up all the scraps from the factory and joining them back together. And I've never seen one just fall apart. Yeah. I've never but then seen it's uh, rain on the long. I mean, I, I've made theatre flats, eight, eight to twelve meter tall flats using finger jointed uh, strongbacks. Yeah. 
And, yeah. you know, these weigh 800 kilos, some of them, and they're, they're perfectly fine. Yeah. Oh, are you talking, sorry, Joey, are you talking about the lengths of timber, not the bench yeah. tops? No, no, the uh, lengths of like okay, you might right, get yeah. like a piece of 150 by 20 and it's six meters long, perfectly dressed. Yeah, okay. and, and there's like every 200 mil, there's a new block. Yeah. And yeah. you can hold that in the middle and, and shake it. And it's not just going to fall into 100 bits. And that, that stuff, yeah. yes, it's got a finger joint, but it's still fully a butt joint, end grain to end grain. Mm. Um, and it's amazing how strong that stuff is. Yes, they're using uh, very good epoxy, but, you know, it still is what it is. Mm. Cool. All right. Um, John, was there anything else on it? Uh, I mean, uh, no, not really. I think okay. we covered everything. We hashed it out. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well. Is there any questions? Yes, we do have questions. Thank you for reminding me. Mm-hmm. All right, so we had one from so from Trent Baldwin earlier. He was the first one. I think I'm getting a cabinet scraper. What is your experience with these? Do I'll it. start this off by saying I was pretty underwhelmed, if I'm honest. I don't know if I just haven't sharpened the th- or you know put the the what is it the burr? Uh, yeah, burr, burr. yeah, whatever That's it's it. called. Um, I used it for a while. It was pretty cool. Um, I then bl- it went blunt. I try to put another burr on and it's, it's never been as sharp as when I got it. And <laughs> I, I've used it on epoxy a little bit, dry epoxy, and it was pretty cool. It's pretty good cool on epoxy. Yeah. yeah, I don't have know. You, I find I just, I reached the sandpaper much quicker. Have you got a proper burnisher for it? No, right? So I've been trying to use a okay. screwdriver. No, no, don't do that. I mean, you can do that. But if it's a good quality card scraper, it's going to be just as hard, if not harder, as your chrome, chrome molly screwdriver pleated handle. Um, right, so okay. you're not going to get the same finish. So uh, as in you're not going to get the same good burr put onto it. Because I, I started just like you with a, using my screwdriver. Uh, and yeah, it was terrible. Like what, right. what I would suggest if you're going in looking for one into a shop, take in your pocket a little screwdriver and run it down the edge while the store man isn't looking and see if it marks your screwdriver. Because if it can mark your screwdriver, you know it's a hard enough steel to give you a good edge. <laughs> or do it in front of him and just see what his reaction is. Because it's like, you, you, you just bought a scraper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to say... Oh, sorry, carry on, Jordan. I was just going to say, I, I don't use the handheld one very often anymore. I've got the Veritas actual cabinet scraper plan. in the handle thing. Uh, yeah, the plan. And that thing I use all the time for mostly epoxy. I don't get a finish-ready surface off it, but that is all, all because I don't put the time into actually honing that thing up to a merit edge and then putting the burr on it and all that mm. jazz. It just takes a long time to tune um, I'll try and be quick because I think see we've got some other questions. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say that my it's all about results for me, so I do not care how I go about sharpening that thing. So I'm going to be sacrilegious and tell you all how I do it. I, I have tried the proper way and it works okay. But I tell you the best way that throw the cabinet scraper in a vice, get a flat file, and hold it flat like you would with the burnisher, but don't add an angle. Just file straight down, square across it three passes that's going to have the biggest burr you've ever seen on it and, it, and it's going to last all day and you don't have to keep going back i must say it's i did try that I'd, I'd flip my belt stander upside down put a 36 belt on and, and ran it across perpendicular to that to try and get a, a burr and that wasn't too bad it's um, the best I, way i mean that thing will stay sharp i get yeah time. that would be great if you're using it for just roughing no man i get a, a really? really good finish of it it's oh, wow, okay. it just makes a perfectly good burr. And I know people are going to say, all oh, the burr's uneven and ready, ready, rah. Well, you know, come try it. Do it. Okay. And then tell me how bad it is. <laughs> because I tell you, I get a good finish. I get a glossy finish off a table if I mm. finish that way. Yeah, right. Hmm. We've got another one from Gareth who wants to know, when you get a uh, – Joey, what is and where do you get that epoxy you use for your outdoor furniture? Uh, it's the epoxy I use for everything. When I use epoxy, it's called Builder's Glue for some reason by CRC. Who, Real creative. Uh, yep. CRC make it and they just bought out somebody else. And so now they've changed the labeling 
God, I can't remember the other company, but it still says CRC on it. Uh, it's one-to-one. It's nice and thick stuff. Everyone, you've probably seen how thick it is. It's awesome. You get about an hour working time, depending how hot it is. And um, it's awesome. But it's a bit expensive. It's like 50 bucks for um, half a liter or quarter would, of a liter. I'd say it's, it's just for the Aussie listeners. I'd say it's the same stuff that they sell at boatpaints.com.au. It's like a really it looks the exact same on uh, on your videos as it is here and it's just their boat epoxy and it's about right. the same price 50 bucks for the two tins yep. and that's cheaper than waste systems uh yeah but you gotta mix it up in big quantities so it doesn't last quite as long mm. well at least mm, the few okay. times i've used it didn't last quite as long yeah, yeah you yeah. always have a big load joe when you're working with yours i always see it's a quite a yeah mm, I usually go. Th- I actually usually end up finding myself making a second batch. Mm. It's amazing how much glue you go through, actually. Yeah, because you're using it for joinery, not just yeah. for filling. So yeah, yeah I guess yeah. Right. All right, then the last one. Uh, Jason said, um, "Do you have plans for more business-related stuff?" It was really helpful hearing about your tax business pricing topics for a new maker. There was actually relevant to hear absolutely jason um what do you want to hear <laughs> yeah well that's it i think i think one of we didn't necessarily plan on this but one of the topics that we keep talking about and keep saying this will make another video is the business side of stuff so yeah if you've got any ideas shoot us an email um the facebook page the shop store podcast there, there'll be a link below um you know feel free to leave a question there but yeah, yeah to answer your question absolutely could I also say if you've got ideas for like topics and other questions, well, topics mostly, you should head over to our Facebook page and leave it on the page there because each week it becomes harder and harder to come up with a topic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. we, there's only three of us, so it only takes, uh, it comes around quickly. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, the Facebook page is where it's, where it's good. Or you can reach out to us directly, um, no, as you were saying earlier, Joe. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Go to any of our socials and give us a message. Yeah. All right. In terms of what we've been watching, I will start this one off. So Andrew Klein, Klein I don't know if you guys watch him. He's a, I think he's got an engineering background, but he's a woodworker as well. So he, it was him, uh, uh, Mark Spagnuolo, and I think there was another person. They did the, um, the threaded taps. So he's got that whole uh, like engineering, manufacturing, um, that sort of vibe. Anyway, he came up with a workbench design that he's, uh, I think he's talking about potentially patenting um, where the legs are steel, square tube steel, and then you fill it with sand. So it's got this really low center of gravity. Yeah. I've seen that. Super cool. cool idea. Like, I mean, it's, it's pretty... Like it's pretty obvious when you think about it, um, but it's cool to see someone like that. Not only just saying like, I'm going to make a workbench and fill it with sand. It was, I'm going to make a workbench. I'm going to plan it. I'm going to potentially sell this to someone, you know, manufacture it, yada, yada, yada. And um, yeah, he did a video on the bench and it looks like an absolute, absolute beast. So yeah, um, Andrew Klein, I think if you just search Andrew Klein workbench, you'll come up with it, but there will be links in the description after the show, Jordan, how about you? Uh, I have to, it's been not a huge amount of watching this week, but this morning, Winston Moy did put out a new video. He's a CNC guy. Winston Moy. Uh, yeah, but he was making these brass, oh, well, acrylic wooden brass, I think, uh, awards. And yeah, I mean, he's cool. He's, he's an engineer, so, you know, straight down the line sort of delivery, which is what I like. Um, mm. But yeah. He's a good channel. I've been following him for probably best part of the year now. Okay. Yeah. And Joey, anything? Um, I just had a quick look on my history and I've been watching a few things I haven't had a chance to watch. It's not been making. It's been uh, skateboarding crashes. So. <laughs> I've got this new Instagram following account, which is, uh, oh God, it sounds terrible when you say it out loud. Kids getting hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just video and video of kids falling over and, and uh, you know, skateboard crashes and stuff. Uh, awesome. I, must, I must say I heard a 
someone say the other day the only the the main reason the atv was invented was to fail army have some uh, some, yeah. some content cool all right um i just want to make one more mention of the malini or someone co- uh, corrected me the other day i think it's Mar- malini that's how you're supposed sure. to say it sure. wood expo coming up in may uh the three of us will be doing a talk there on the saturday um, we're also planning on doing a meetup, but we'll get into more details as we get closer. I just want to keep reminding you guys, if you feel like coming up to Queensland and hanging out or seeing a very cool show, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, it'll be fun. All right. Other than that, thank you very much for listening, everybody. If you do have any questions or comments that you want to add about the show, as we said earlier, feel free to reach out, reach out to us or have a look at the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash shop still podcast um if you are watching on itunes a review is always very much appreciated but other than that anything else from you guys before we go uh nope i'm what he said cool all right well thanks again for listening everybody and we'll see you again same time next thursday yeah bye